Wow, that was a great job. Uh, you guys put that together really well. I appreciate that. That was super. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1. As you know, we started uh, our book of Proverbs last week. I gave you a, a lot of background material on it, things that uh, you really need to know about the book. So when we actually get into it, as we do today, it'll make more sense to you. Uh, we'll even talk about some more stuff today as we uh, enter into chapter 1. But uh, last week we began our intro of the book of Proverbs and, uh, as I said, some things that you want to keep in mind about the book as we, we go through it. You now know, uh, we, and I laid this out for you last week, that the book of Proverbs represents the mind of God. I showed you the five wisdom books in the Bible and showed you how each one of them relate to the mind of Christ, the mind of the Holy Spirit, and Proverbs, the mind of God. And then we talked about the other two uh, and, as, and laid those out as they all put together uh, the heart of God and, and how that all in the sufferings of God and all of that through Job and Psalms. And uh, I told you that uh, the book of uh, Proverbs represents what God thinks. The book of Proverbs is simply God's opinion on everything in life. And uh, it's the book, as I told you last week, of our right choices, showing us the right solution to every issue in life and every problem we have to deal with. We saw the book of Proverbs as God's mind, and it represents for us the fourth dimension. Remember I told you, I took you over to Ephesians, showed you that in a physical world, there's three dimensions. But in, in Ephesians, it talks about a fourth dimension, and that fourth dimension is the spiritual side. It, it, it's what I talk about when I tell you about uh, walking out of the natural into the supernatural and living a life with God that's unexplainable. And that is the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension is the depth of God. It's the mind of God which the book of Proverbs represents. And, uh, and then I told you the, the theme of the book of Proverbs, uh, which I think is very important. The theme of the book of Proverbs, which develops and becomes one of the great themes of the Bible. And it's the theme about a wise man and a foolish man. You're going to find that everything in the book of Proverbs, as the Bible, is built around that concept. And today we'll begin to look at chapter 1, and we'll start to define some, some areas for you as we begin to put the book together. Let's start in Proverbs chapter 1, and let's pick it up in verse 1 and read down through verse 7. He says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity to give subtly to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we love you today, and we thank you for those that have come, and we thank you for the 10 years that we've been here and the blessings of God and how many people we've seen come and saved and, and come into our church, and, and Lord, how that you've just blessed us with the ministries that we have and the great people who run them, and, and Father, all of the great stuff. So let us enjoy today. Not only let us enjoy the time we have in the Word of God, but throughout the rest of the day, the baptisms, the food, the fellowship, and all of the things that we just uh, we do together. And we'll thank you now and praise you. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, every book in the Bible has a natural breakdown. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but 
uh, I went through it early when we started our church. I, I went through every book of the Bible. It's, on the, it's online. I went through every book of the Bible and showed you the natural breakdown of that book. What I mean by that is this. God has put some natural divisions in the books of the Bible that help you break them down properly as you want to study them. Uh, an outline for us to follow, so to speak. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, The study to show thyself approved. Very familiar verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to get the Bible rightly divided. If you don't rightly divide the Bible, you're going to wrongly divide the Bible. And when it comes to the books of the Bible, God has put a natural outline uh, around every book in the Bible. And by dividing it out, uh, he does that so it'll make sense when you begin to study it. I've told you many, many times, I deal with a lot of people and I help a lot of people figure out the Bible. And I, the two problems that people always have with the Word of God, and I'm sure that everybody here has experienced this at one time or the other, the true problems that people have uh, when they get into the Bible. And I really believe that most Christians want to study the Bible. I think, honestly, that most people start out wanting to get something out of the Bible. <laughs> I don't think there's too many people who get saved on Sunday and then Monday or Tuesday says, ah, I don't want to get into it. I think probably almost everybody makes an attempt at getting into the Bible. But I've dealt with people for many, many, many years, and I, I see this problem over and over again. And it's a problem that I've tried to undertake to fix, at least in my own church. I can't fix it for everybody. But how many times have I told you that the two problems that people have is the first thing they do when they begin to read the Bible, they don't know what to look for. I believe it's the reason why that many people start to read the Bible and then get discouraged. I mean, you get back in the Old Testament and some of those books and some of those passages, you got to step back and say, man, I wonder why even God put this in here. But there's a reason to everything in the Bible. And the first problem people have when they get into the Bible, they don't know what to look for. The second problem they have is when they do find something, then they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how it fits with the rest of the Bible. And one of the reasons why God divided the books of the Bible the way that he did, and he really did the whole Bible that way, but we're talking about the book of Proverbs today in, in its natural outline. But the reason why God put a natural outline of every book in the Bible by dividing it out is so that it will make sense when you and I begin to read it. And I'm telling you, Proverbs follows a very simple outline. But I'm also telling you, you miss the outlines and the book will never open itself up to you. It's like a key that unlocks all the truth that God has. Now, it's not my outline. I didn't, I didn't sit out and, and create these. They're natural outlines that once you just look at a book and you see how it begins to break down and how it begins to lay out, uh, how easy it is. And it's this outline or breakdown of the book of Proverbs that we're going to follow in our study of it. So you want to get it down. And it's it's how we're going to go through the book because it's the best way to go through the book. Now, there are three sections to Proverbs. The outline is basically three sections to the book of Proverbs. And they're important to look at as individual sections. And this is what you got to do with every book of the Bible. When you get into the book of the Bible, that may have four or five sections to it. You want to take each section individually. You want to understand it. You want to identify it. You want to see what it does and then you want to go to the next section, you want to see what it does, then you want to go to the next section and see what it does, and then you want to stand back and put all the sections back together. That's how the book makes sense. Trying to just get into the Bible. 
I, I used to know a couple of Christians that every time they had a problem, their, their answer, to, when they didn't know what it was, is to close their eyes, flip their pages, and put their finger down, and that was the verse they thought God would give them to their answer until he got an ephah as a third part of an oma. It didn't help him in his problem any, you know. That's not how you do it. And you don't, many people approach the Bible the same way. They just start reading the Bible. God never intended for you or me or anybody else to just, after you got saved, to sit down and start reading the Bible on your own and figuring out. That's why God gave us pastors and teachers. That's why God, that's the job of the church. The job of the church, first and foremost, is to, nothing else, is to make sure that you have the best opportunity as you can have in life to understand the book, understand how the Bible lays out. And you don't get that just by coming on Sunday morning. You don't get that just by coming to a Thursday night Bible study. You get that by somebody taking the time to sit down with you and walk you through the books of the Bible. You get that by somebody understanding that God never intended for you just to sit down and open it. You'll get overwhelmed and you certainly will get discouraged. God intended for the church uh, to take and help you break it down and show you through these natural breakdowns how it works. Now, Proverbs has three. Section number one is going to be chapter one through chapter seven. And in this chapter, you're going to find where almost every chapter heading starts with my son. Uh, I think one of them starts, my little children. But it's all directed to my son. Every chapter starts out that way, chapter one through chapter seven. And this first section will be addressed directly. Remember last week I told you? how that the, all the books of the Bible, all the Bible has three applications. It has a historical application. It has a prophetic or a doctrinal application to something in the future. And then it has a personal or a practical application to you. Okay, when you start to read through Proverbs chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, just want to see if he was still there. <clears throat> it's Okay. I do the same thing. Put it back over his head. Let him sleep if he wants to. I, that's, I, yeah, that's a good kid. I, when you look at those three, when it says my son in the first seven chapters, historically, it's Solomon's son, Rehoboam. That's who it is historically. But I showed you last week that prophetically or doctrinally that the book of Proverbs is written to the nation of Israel. And in Exodus chapter 4, we are told and we find that in a corporate sense or a national sense that Israel is God's son. So prophetically, the Proverbs in the first seven chapters, when he talks about that my son is to Israel. But then there's a practical side to the book of Proverbs, as there is to the whole Bible. And for you and for me, historical is great and doctrinal is wonderful. But what's going to get you and me through life tomorrow won't be the historical, nor will it be the doctrinal. What's going to get me and you through life's trials and tribulations and troubles is going to be the practical application. And when in the first seven chapters he talks about my son and gives him instructions, he's talking to you and me as God's child. He's talking to you and me as someone has been born again and born into the family of God by a new birth. He's talking about someone who is now God's child and this first section deals with what the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of God, will accomplish in your life if you, if you let it. The first seven chapters deal with uh, an admonition to get God's wisdom and what it'll do for you when you do. I look at chapter 1 through 7 kind of like a prelude to the book of Proverbs itself, a defining set of chapters that shows you the real underlying dangers of this life 
and how to avoid the pitfalls. First seven chapters is written to you and me. And in it, it shows you exactly how to get God's wisdom. When we start coming through chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, you're going to begin to get insight into things uh, about your Christian life that God wanted you to see that you've never seen before. It actually shows you, if you want the wisdom of God, if you want to learn the Word of God, it actually shows you the step-by-step process because that's what God wants for you. Solomon wanted that for his son, Rehoboam, but it didn't work out very well. God wants it for you and me as his sons, but many times it doesn't work out very well, does it? You know, I always look at it like this. I know the world is darkness. I know the Bible says that the devil is darkness. And I know that this world around me is all darkness, and I know that the devil goes through life setting up traps and entrapments and snares and traps and entanglements because it is darkness. He goes through great lengths to put all of that stuff in our lives. And that's basically what life is. Life is you trying to find your way through life in total darkness, that the devil has put landmines and tripwires and booby traps and punji stakes and everything out there to stop you and to mess you up. And that's why so many of God's people start out with the best intentions, but they wind up falling back into the world. They wind up getting into all kinds of circumstances and situations. Ah, but the Bible says that the entrance of thy word giveth life, doesn't it? The Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, isn't it? The Bible talks about the fact that he's your light uh, in a dark place. Uh, and and uh, remember last week I gave you uh, Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses 20 uh, and 22. But 22 said, uh, talking about God, that he revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. You see, even though the world is darkness, and even though the devil has strewn through your path and my path all of the things to mess us up, God knows what is in the darkness. And the Bible says that he is a light that shineth in a dark place. And the Bible says that the word of God is your flashlight. It is the light that, that, that guides you through, that shows you where the pitfalls are when you get it. Back in the Gulf War, the one in the 90s, uh, the, when we first started that war, uh, the... Uh, the uh, uh, the men over there that were uh, fighting against Saddam Hussein and all of his troops, they, uh, they had the night vision gear. Uh, I mean, third, fourth generation stuff. It was incredible. And the Iraqi army was so poorly equipped, uh, and they didn't have any of those things. And they actually were terrified to go out at night because of the fact that they, they knew that going out to even go to the bathroom, going out to the chow hall, going out to go to one tent to another. Even when somebody ordered you to go report to the commander, they knew that there was a a great chance that they were going to be killed from point A to point B in total darkness because the American troops had starlight scopes. They had night vision scopes. They had everything that they could actually see in the darkness. In fact, The American troops got so proud of it and the Iraqis got so afraid of it that a name that they chose for themselves was taken from a movie that was made a number of years ago. It was simply called, they called themselves, We Own the Night. And they did because nothing went on in the darkness that they could not see. I've often thought about that and thought to myself, that's exactly what the Word of God does for you. There's no reason for you or me to fail. There's no reason for you and I to get caught in the trappings of the devil. We own the night. 
We, we, God knows what's in the darkness, and He's given us the light of His Word, and through that, we see everything that the devil wants to try to do and everything the devil tries to accomplish in our life. You see, chapter 1 through 7 lays out what the light of God will do for you when you get it and begin to use it the right way. Now, the second section. Second section picks up in chapter 8 and runs all the way up to chapter 30. Now, within this section, we have the Proverbs themselves. If I remember right, years ago when I counted them up, I think there were 630 of them, I think. And, and these Proverbs from chapter 8 to chapter 30 will contain the truth of God in any particular given situation. In this section, you're going to find the issues of life defined for you. In this section, you're going to find when you, how do you conduct yourself, what you do, how to make right choices, how to make right decisions, because you're going to be faced with them. Because I've told you many, many times, life is choices. Life is being faced with choices you've got to make. And as I showed you last week by a couple of different examples, it only takes one bad choice to alter your life forever. So the second section deals with the issues of life. The world's wisdom versus God's wisdom. And in this section, you'll see uh, the comparison of a fool. The book of Proverbs, I told you last week that the word Proverbs itself means to compare, to set side by side. And in this book, when we get into this section, you're going to actually see that. You're going to see the comparison of a wise man and a foolish man. He goes to great lengths to show you in this section everything that you need to know that you don't make bad choices. Now, this is Kids Sunday today, and, and I'm glad all the kids are in here, especially for this message, because I want to emphasize today that you all are coming into your world, uh, like I talked about the last night at camp, when you're going to have to start making your own choices. You're going to have to start, you're going to have to be faced with circumstances and situations where you're going to have to choose which way to go. You're going to be under peer pressure with your friends at school. You're going to get drawn in by other people, maybe teachers or maybe somebody that's not saved that, uh, that will teach you or talk to you or tell you different from what your mom and dad are trying to tell you. You're going to have to realize that there's coming a time in your life where you are going to have to make choices, just like your mom and dad has to make choices. And we've all made bad choices. Nobody goes through life with 100% batting accurate. But, uh, you know, and that's why I always tell people, when it comes to the Bible and God, uh, I don't ever care where a person has been. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what they've got into. It doesn't matter to me. All that matters is where you're at today and where you want to go from here. Everybody's got a past. Everybody's got a history. And you've got to realize that God takes people where they're at, not where they were, when that person wants to do what they need to do. And this is a great section here. Uh, what you get, uh, when you get into this section, you really begin to see the mind of God at work. And I've got to tell you, it's really quite overwhelming in all the things uh, that you do. And you're going to see the comparison of a fool and a wise man dealing with the principles and the issues of life and the consequences that go along with it. Now, the third section, the third section will be just simply one chapter, chapter 31. Personally, I think for me as a Christian, and I can't speak for you, but I think by the time we're done, you would probably agree with me. I think for me personally as a Christian, the greatest single chapter that shows me exactly what I need to be in every aspect of my relationship with my family, my relationship to God, my relationship to ministry, my relationship to everything is Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31, uh, and it will deal with the context of the virtuous woman. 
And I know, I know, I know, you know, it's a great verse to put on Mother's Day cards, and it's a great thing to talk about your mom being a virtuous woman, and I'm sure she is, was, will be, and all of those things. I understand that. But you'll also realize that this is talking about you. One of the things you're going to see in the book of Proverbs, and you'll notice uh, as we go through it, that in, that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is always given a female gender. Now, I know that makes you ladies feel special, and you certainly are special today, and I have no problem believing that women are smarter than men. I've just, I, I think that in many ways they are. But before uh, you get too carried away with the fact that when he went to make wisdom, he personified it in the form of a female, uh, that's because in the book, uh, it's written to you and me uh, and Israel as God's son. See? Israel's God's son. I'm God's son. But when it comes to the final process, when God is done with us, remember now, Israel is likened to God's wife. That's female. You and I are likened to Christ's bride. That's a female. So what you have in chapter 31 is the finished product of your life and my life. And wisdom is personified into a female form because for you and me, it's a picture of the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ with all of God's wisdom adorned around her. So that's why you find that in there. Uh, Israel in the Old Testament is God's wife. Christ in the, New, uh, the church in the New Testament is Christ's bride. So in both cases, wisdom is personified as a woman or a female uh, because of the fact that it's a final, it shows the final uh, uh, phase of our life when we grow to the place that we become the a kind of bride of Christ that we should be or Israel becomes the nation that they should be when all of chapter uh, 1 through 30 is applied in your life and my life. Uh, and it's, a, it's incredible. The wisdom of God in its final form. I think chapter 31 is one of the most profound chapters in the Bible. It certainly pulls all the information together and shows you and me what we should be uh, in this life when we have gotten uh, the wisdom of God. And that's why she's called a virtuous woman. And you could go down through that chapter and you could match up everything that needs to be in your life and my life when it comes to our relationship with God. Absolutely incredible detail and material. And it covers every aspect of our lives as God's people. Now, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 said, a wise man, it says a wise, a wise man shows up, and it says a wise man will do some things. So the first thing, once we get the outline down, and you have that under your belt now, the first thing I want to do is coming through here, is I want to I define for you what a wise man is. I think this is very important. I think it's important because Proverbs is about as I said, choices, the choices we make. And in life, we choose to let people in our lives or circumstances in our lives, and they, one way or the other, will have a profound effect on our life. I think most of you can look back and say that is true just by the, uh, many people in your life, many circumstances in your life. Some have been very positive, some have been very negative. In, in, in life, you basically have two people groups you got to deal with. When you go to work tomorrow, you basically have two people groups you got to work with. And even in churches, our church, you have basically two people groups. And every aspect of your life falls around us. And I know the actual thing is, well, you got saved and you're lost. I know that's true, but I'm going to talk about it a little narrower than that. I want to redefine it a little more than that. No, no. In life, the two people groups, and in work, the two people groups, and even in our church, the two people groups that you're up against are simply wise men and foolish men. It's people who apply the Word of God and get the wisdom of God and the people that don't. 
And a foolish man can be a shaved person. Foolish man can be an unshaved person. And you simply will be who you hang out with. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, took a little interlude, and I talked about real leadership. Try to get you an understand before we got into the book of Proverbs what real leadership is. And I showed you Aaron versus Moses. Remember this sermon? How Moses was a great leader. Moses was a, a tremendous leader. Aaron was weak. Aaron was a leader who always cra- crashed to the people. Uh, he made the golden calf. He, he fought. I gave you all the list of the things that a, a, a non-leader does and showed you the things that a leader uh, tries to accomplish. And I remember I made, just made a brief, mef, uh, uh, brief, brief uh, mention of it, how that uh, right in that chapter you have Joshua showing up. And while all the people are, and Joshua becomes Moses' successor. Joshua becomes the guy who takes over Israel after, after Moses dies. And while Aaron and all the people are down here playing and having a great time making a golden calf, you find that Joshua is with Moses on the mountain with God. And I remember making the statement that leaders to be hang out with leaders that are. You find Joshua becoming a great leader because of who he hung out with. He hung out with Moses. And his leadership skills were fine-tuned by a great leader in the Bible, Moses. And, you know, you always want to remember, and sometimes we, we, we don't like to think this way, but it's true. We are in complete control of our destiny in the sense of who we allow or what we allow in our lives, good or bad, to make in choices or influences over us. I mean, uh, uh, we have a little thing we talk about in our prayer groups, iron sharpeneth iron. That's simply a phrase in the Bible found in Proverbs that shows you that we ought to sharpen each other. We ought to make each other better. But ju- that's a wise man. But just as iron sharpeneth iron, on the other side, lead will make you dead. Hanging out with lead Christians who don't ever go anywhere, don't ever do anything, uh, will always mess you up. You see, circumstances never determine who you are. We like to think that that's true. Well, you don't know my circumstances. I don't care about your circumstances. Circumstances never define who we are. Never do. Never define who we are. But rather, you're dealing with the circumstances and how you deal with it define who you are. You know, people like to blame their bad life on circumstances. How many times I've heard somebody say, well, I did what I did because of my circumstances. People like to blame their problems on other people. I've heard parents tell me that the reason their kids don't come to church is because of what somebody else did. What's that got to do with your own personal responsibility? You see, we have to be responsible for the choices we make. And we are in complete control of our destiny in that one sense. Now, you may not be responsible for what's going to happen to you tomorrow, but you certainly are responsible for how you deal with it. That's the book of Proverbs, you see. That's the book of Proverbs. In life, it's not all, and I don't, I, I don't, I'm not suggesting or supporting gambling by any way, shape, or form, but, you know, you look at things in life, like life is, is like a game. Dr. Ruckman years ago preached a sermon when he draws out, and he preached a sermon on the game of life. And what he painted or drew out there was a ball stadium, and he put the whole stadium up there, you know, with people in the stands, and then the Christian pitching, a Christian batting at the bat, and the Word of God is the empire behind it, but the devil was pitching. And his, his, his message, the great message, was the game of life. And you know what? He, he made some great analogies to what, uh, what, when we play sports, that's the same way as life. 
You don't always like the calls the umpire gives you when you play softball or baseball or the line judge when you play volleyball. But you don't always like what the Word of God says to you either, you see, about life. In other words, as in games, as in life, there has to be a final authority. Somebody has to say you're safe or you're out. They're not going to let you decide that. How would that work for you? You'd win every game. Nobody would ever get out. And we laugh at that. But you know what? If God allowed us to make the same kind of choices in our life without an absolute to guide us, we'd do the exact same thing. We'd never be wrong. Why? I know how God's people are today. When they have the absolute authority, they think they're never wrong. So there's an absolute to it. But, you know, I, I looked at that thing, and, you know, the life, life, is, uh, life is not much different than, uh, life is not much different than, than when you, uh, somebody, playing, somebody playing poker. You know, there's, I, I, there's some really good, I, I've never understood the game of poker. Uh, I, I've never followed it. I really don't know about it. But I, 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 I've talked to guys that were great at it. You've got some of these guys who are just phenomenal poker players. And I asked the guy one time, and I said, tell me what a secret of a great poker player is. And he said, you know what? He said, the, the secret of being a great poker player is not always having a great hand. Because in playing poker, many times you get a bad hand. And he says, the secret of being a great poker player is not always having a good hand, but really a good poker player finds out how to play a really bad hand. Boy, I thought to myself, boy, if that isn't life. You see, you're not defined by all the good things in life. They're easy to play. What defines you is when life gives you a bad hand, how well you play it. That's the key. That's the key. That's the book of Proverbs, you see. That's the book of Proverbs. It doesn't happen about circumstances. It doesn't come about by people in your life. We choose who we allow in our life. We choose uh, how to deal with circumstances. And I want to talk to you about a wise man. I think it's invaluable that you learn what a wise man is, especially if you want to be one. Now, if you don't want to be one, now's the time for you to leave. <laughs> Proverbs defines a wise man with nine principles. Nine principles. They'll not only define a wise man in the book of Proverbs, but these same nine principles define who you and I are. Now, might I suggest, since we're going to be in this a while, and we're going to be talking them in comparison of a wise man and fool man, foolish man. May I suggest that you make a list, a personal list. You ain't going to show it to anybody. You don't have to show it to your wife or show it to your husband, or you don't have to show it to the person sitting next to you. But my advice to you, if you really want to grasp to this, is, is, is to begin to make a personal list. You want to make a personal list of people in your world that you, based on the Bible, thinks wise. Somebody who uses the principles to make the choices in life because life is about choices. And you don't have to show it to anybody, but you want to have your own personal list as we go through here that you can begin to look at that list. And then at some point in our study, not today, but down the line, you're going to have to make your own choices because we're going to make the same list about fools here the next time we're together. And now you're going to have a complete list based on the Bible to show you what a fool is and what a wise man is. It's going to necessitate some choices in your life. But I think choices are good. Now, I don't know if you know it or not. Probably most of you have been around here at length of time, though. Number nine in the Bible is the number of fruit bearing. There are certain numbers in the Bible that are always associated with certain subjects. 
And number nine in the Bible is the number of fruit bearing. First time you find it showing up is in Genesis chapter 9 where uh, uh, Noah's told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Next time it shows up is in Genesis where Abraham is 99 when he bears the fruit that he so wanted. You go over to the book of Galatians, you're going to find nine fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. Galatians just have to be the ninth book in the New Testament. You ever study, spell Galatians? Nine letters. You ever see the verses those nine fruit are found in? 22 and 23? Add it up. It's nine. See? Nine in your Bible is fruit bearing. Nine in your Bible is fruit bearing. Now, I know to a lot of people that doesn't make any, they don't believe that or buy that, and they just think that's a coincidence. One of the things I learned years and years ago, that that book is a supernatural book and there are no coincidences in it. Nine is the number of fruit bearing in the Bible. People ask me all the time, why do you use a King James Bible? I use a King James Bible because that's the only Bible down through history that's really bore any fruit. The greatest Philadelphian church raised at a time when three-quarters of the world was won to a saving knowledge of Christ was with that book. There's been more souls won to Christ with that book than there are other new translations put together. It's called the Holy Bible, nine letters. It was put out under the auspices of a guy by the name of King James, nine letters. In 1611, you add them up, six and three is what? That's the book you want that bears the fruit that you need, you see? So we're going to look at nine principles in the book of Proverbs real quickly here that show you what a wise man is. All right, first of all, a wise man will win souls. You want to look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. It says, the fruit of the righteous is as a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, Proverbs eleven thirty. it says, now I want you to note that it says the fruit of the righteous. Now, the fruit of the righteous is not the people that you win to Christ, though everybody teaches it that way. But rather, the fruit of the righteous is the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God that is in your life that produces the people in your life that you win to Christ. You don't ever want to just go out and win people to Christ because you can win people to Christ. You want to win people to Christ because you've got the character qualities of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. That'll produce what you need to win people to Christ. A guy said one time uh, to to, uh, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great preacher. And uh, D.L. Moody was talking to a guy and that night before, he had preached in a church, and he was talking outside the church. The guy that supposedly got saved the night before was staggering drunk up the street. And the guy didn't really like Moody. He kind of ugged him, and he says, isn't that one of your converts there? Knowing the guy got saved last night, and there he is drunk tonight. Oh, Moody, he looked at him, and he said, yeah, it must be one of mine. Could never be one of the Lord's. You see? We can win all kinds of people in professions of faith. That doesn't mean they're really saved. When you win people to Christ, it comes because of the Holy Spirit of God working in you. And the Bible says the fruit of the righteous is as a tree of life. The tree of life bore fruit. That fruit brought eternal life. You as a tree of life, when you have the fruit of God in you, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit. Now, and I love this when it happens in our church, and it happens from time to time. Uh, good guy, young Christians, gals and gals, they'll come into my office, you know, and we'll sit down and they'll begin to talk. And, uh, and one of the things that they'll be burdened about is the fact that they've been shaved now for five or six years, and, and, and they're, they're burdened about the fact that they haven't won anybody to Christ yet. And I, I really appreciate that because I deal with a lot of God's people who never care about that. And it's refreshing to see somebody who does care about it. But I, I always, in every case, there's somebody who, in my mind, in my thinking, uh, is, 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 is a great soul winner. They just don't look at it through the eyes of wisdom of the book of Proverbs. 
You realize that 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 tells us that there's three aspects to soul winning? See, all you ever hear is, who'd you win this? I got a guy where I go work out. Every time I see him, he knows I'm a preacher. Every time I see him, he always asks me, did you get anybody saved this week? Did you get everybody saved this week? Preacher, did you get anybody saved this week? I got so, I just, I, I, I just, he, I don't know if he's just, I don't think he's paying attention because last week I told him we had 2,000 saved and he just said, that's great. I don't think he's listening. I don't think he's listening. But anyway, it's a thing where, the uh, uh, Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, that there's three aspects of soul winning. Paul said, I have planted, that means he sowed the seed. Apollos watered, that's somebody else completely who prayed for the guy. And then he says, and God gave the increase. Somebody else wanted to Christ. And you've got to understand that concept. All three of those are important. Now, when the guy finally got saved, the guy who sowed gets the credit for it. The guy who watered gets the credit for it. And it's all across the board. Because soul winning is just not, hey, look at me. I won this guy to Christ. Soul winning is always a team effort. And I want to tell you, the greatest example I know of that is this church. I watch you people. I watch you people when unsaved people come on your ball team. I watch you people when you get an unsaved friend that you bring to church. You understand that, that all you're doing is you want them to get saved. You want them to trust Christ. So you bring them to a place where they can hear the gospel. Somebody else, you say, my so-and-so is coming to church. So they start praying for them. And pretty soon, several start being their friends. They start seeing the difference. And pretty soon, you know what? They get saved. And Danny may win him to Christ. Uh, Zach may win him to Christ. Phil may win him to Christ. John may win him to Christ. And so we think because that person went out and won him to Christ, man, I wish I could have won that person. Yo, he says down in 3.9, for we are laborers together. Right. We're all in this together. Right. There's not a one-man show about soul winning. Soul winning is a church understanding the concept of that. And some of you sowing, some of you watering, and some of you reaping. You won't always reap. You want, but you'll always water. You may not be the one that's sowing, you get to reap. But everybody who is involved, it's an attitude. It's not an attitude that I want to win souls. It's an attitude of the fruit of the Spirit of God that that's what God saves you for. You're a tree that bears fruit. And that fruit gets born in three ways. Most, most people don't understand that. They don't understand that. John R. Rice was a great soul winner. He's dead now, been dead for 20-some years. John R. Rice is one of the old Philadelphian guys that was the last of the Philadelphian guys. He was a great preacher. And he was a great, he had a burden for souls. I've, no, I got to see him preach before he died probably three or four times in person. I could never see him get up there and at the end talk about heaven and hell and souls without tears coming to his eyes. Uh, he, was, he, 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 he wrote more books, more tracts on soul winning than any man I think I ever heard about in my life. And he had a message that he preached on, on not winning people to Christ as a sevenfold sin. And I remember hearing him preaching at one time. In fact, I got the outline in my Bible. But he understood that soul winning uh, was very important. But he also understood that it wasn't just a one-man show. It was a team effort that everybody, everybody showed, everybody prayed. And some people reaped. But we all get it. There is no reason why at the end of the year... You can't have 40 or 50 people you won to Christ, because that's probably how many people we get saved here in a year's time. If you understand a concept, John R. Rice preached that not winning people. Remember now, the Bible says a wise man wins souls. He that wins souls is wise. 
John R. Rice preached that, that uh, 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 sevenfold sin of not winning, someone, winning people to Christ. He said, first of all, it was a disobedience to, to the main commandment of Christ. He said, secondly, it was a lack of love for God. He said, third, that, that it was no abiding in Christ that, that, that you didn't care about souls. Number four, he says, it's a picture, uh, it represents you not following Christ. He said, not winning in Christ is the folly of a short-sighted fool. He went so far on the sixth one to preach on the fact that it was spiritual manslaughter. And then he said the seventh one that was being disobedient to a sacred trust. Do you know you're ordained this morning? The Bible says in John chapter 15 that, that God has ordained you that you bring forth fruit. And when we develop the attitude of not caring about souls being saved, when we develop the attitude, I don't care one way or the other, when, you know, and it doesn't bother me that you don't win people to Christ because I understand the concept. What bothers me is God's people have no burden to see people saved. Right. Bible says you've been ordained and you've been ordained to bring forth fruit and that that fruit should remain. So that sacred trust that he talks about is your ordination as a Christian the day you got saved. You may not be ordained in, sitting in that seat this morning to be a pastor. You may not be ordained to be a deacon, but you're ordained to be a soul winner. And the Bible says... The wise man win his souls. Now let's talk about the second one. This will be a wise man inherits glory. This will be found in chapter 3, verse 35. The Bible says, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Only a fool, in my mind, of course I understand where I'm coming from, only a fool in my mind would, would put the world, this whole world above the one that's coming. I, I have a hard time seeing that. I've seen many of God's people to come out of the filth of this world God delivered from them. They stick around for a while and then they go right back in. I told you, I'll be honest, I don't understand that. Now this one has to do with your millennial inheritance when Christ sets up his thousand-year reign. We call it the millennium. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, cannot deny himself. Now, a lot of people like to use that verse and make a reference to losing your salvation. It's not, your salvation is not even in the passage. What he denies you, if you're not faithful, is the rain. In other words, you can lose your millennial inheritance. That's what he's saying. Now, that inheritance should be the number one thing on our long-term goal as a Christian. I know in my own life, it helps me keep things around me in perspective. And this is why I don't let a lot of things bother me. It really doesn't matter to me because I know that there's coming a day when God is going to make all things right. There's coming a day where every crooked thing is going to be made straight. And I'm okay with that. You know, I try to teach you, try to preach the best I can to you, help you any way I can to see uh, the debt, the obligation that we have to Christ for uh, working in the ministry based on his saving us and dying on the cross. I know we, we're never going to get everybody to do right by God, but that's really not my job. My job is to tell you the truth. My job is every time I step in that pulpit or we open up that book, that what you get is the truth, even when we don't like it. I can tell you this. When I leave here on Sunday morning or Thursday night or after a one-on-one -on -one time we have together, I am the most at-peace, rest man you ever saw in your life. You know why? Because I know that I gave you the best job that I could do to give you the truth to point you that you got an inheritance coming, but some of you are going to lose it. And a wise man inherits glory. Now the third one. It says, 
wise man will receive commandments. This will be chapter 10, verse 8. It says, the wise in heart shall receive commandments, but a pratting fool shall fall. Now, there's some things that God has commanded us to do as Christians. I know we think the Ten Commandments are Old Testament and the commandments were done away with. I I understand what you're saying. But you need to realize that uh, you and I as Christians have been commanded to do some things. A wise man will receive those commandments. One of them we already looked at was in John chapter 15, the ordination to bring people to Christ. You're going to find in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, that Christ took all of those Ten Commandments when they were done away with, and He real rolled them over into two. And in the Bible, it's called the royal law in James chapter 1. It's called the law of Christ in Galatians 6 and Galatians 5. But He took all of those Ten Commandments, and He rolled them into one, and He gave them to us as New Testament Christians. You know what they are? first one is to love God first. The second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't separate those two. You can't this morning love, say you love God and hate the person sitting next to you. You just can't. I had a lady one time, she says, I hate my husband. And I said, well, that ain't going to work. And I said, you got to love him. She says, I can't love him. And I said, well, if you can't love him as your husband, you got to love him, love him as your friend or your neighbor. She says, I don't want him as my neighbor. I don't want him as my friend. I can't love him that way either. And I said, well, if you can't love him as your husband and you can't love him as your neighbor, your friend, then you got to love him as your enemy. But you got to love him. There's nowhere to go with it. Nowhere to go with it. You can't say, I love God and I hate you. You can't say, well, I, I, I love God, but I don't, I don't like you. Now, I realize there's some nasty people in this world. I understand that. And sometimes you have to love them through Christ, but you got to love them. You got to love them. And one of the commandments is that we, we love God first. We love others. We love others. When William Booth died, he started the Salvation Army. And a great organization back then. It's come pretty much a apostate mess today. I mean, if William Booth came back alive and walked through the first Salvation Army church, he'd have a heart attack before he got past first ashtray. But he, but he was a great organization. And when he died, he died on Christmas Eve. And all of his followers got around because every Christmas Eve he gave a, a, an address to them. And they all were waiting. But the old man was ready to die. But he mustered up the strength to say one more thing to them before he died. And everybody that was part of the Salvation Army got around their radio set to listen to him. And he gave one word was his message. You know what it was? Others. 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 So we're commanded to do some things. We are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, you remember there's multiple issues that, it, uh, that the church at Corinth had. I mean, they're messed up on all kinds of stuff. They're messed up on spiritual gifts. They're messed up on baptism. They're messed up on the Lord's Supper. They're messed up on all those things. And you know what Paul said to them in 1437? He says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, letting him also acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. See? A wise man will receive those commandments. A fool will view them as options. Now, they're not options. Now, the fourth one. Moving through these here, the fourth one. A wise man will hearken to counsel. 12.15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The wise man will always follow biblical principles to the best of his ability. A wise man also knows that uh, people, uh, there are some people who know more about life than he does. And uh, God puts them in your life. And uh, you want to put yourself around wise people. 
We see this a lot of time with some of you kids. You're going to come into that age in your life where suddenly you're going to think you know more about life than your mom and dad. I guarantee you, you don't. I deal with people all the time that are much like some of you kids. They think they know more about life than I do, and they don't. And I'm telling you, the thing that you've got to realize and understand when you put it all together is a wise man hearkens to counsel. He does. He goes after it. Uh, my advice to, to all of you, whether you're a little child or whether you're a teenager or whether you're an adult, my, my, my advice to you, uh, in addition to the Bible, would be to tell you to seek out good role models for your life. Seek out people who are doing what God wants you to do, or wants them to do, who are wise people, and I'd make them your role models. I'd find people with common sense uh, and, and follow those kind of people. Common sense is not too common anymore. And you find it many, many times where, you know, uh, it's not. Common sense is like deodorant. The people who need it most, they never use it. <laughs> and and you've got to come to the place where you look for role models. Role models. I saw a T-shirt the other day that somebody was wearing. It says, duct tape has a thousand and one uses, but toilet paper is not one of them. Now, that's common sense, you see. That's common sense. Find role models. Find people who, who are, are, use the principles of God. Never take, never take, never take advice from anybody whose spiritual life is a disaster unless they tell you to stay away from them. <laughs> that would be good advice. You want to build into your life people who by their counsel will make you better. Now, I got to tell you this. There's two, they sound the same, but there's two words in the Bible that are called counsel but they're spelled differently, and they mean something different, and you need to know them. They're spelled different. One is spelled C-O-U-N-S-E-L. The other one is spelled C-O-U-N-C-I-L. And it shows you the two different ways that you get counsel. Now, the counsel, S-E-L, is advice from an individual. When we talk about a counseling ministry, that's the kind of counsel we're talking about. The second kind of counsel is C-I-L. And that's like a group, a meeting, like the World Council of Churches. In church history, we talked about it when we came through it, there's 14 church councils down through history. In the Bible, councils, C-I-L, were never good in favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were always against him. And in church history, every one of those 14 councils are worthless when it comes to anything with God or the Word of God or the church. They're all put up by uh, a religious organization that cared nothing about God in the Bible. So there's two kinds of council that you're going to get into. I mean, would you take advice on your 401k and in your investments by a guy who lost everything he had in, a, in his? I mean, would you take advice on raising your kids from people who lost theirs to the world? Or your Christian life when, uh, about your life when theirs is a disaster? You see, a wise man takes counsel and he hangs out with the wise people. Make a list, man. Make a list. Make a list. Now, I'll show you the fifth one. Wise men guards his tongue, 2911. A fool uttereth all his mind, but the wise man keepeth it till afterwards. Listening to people talk reveals who they really are. I mean, there's people who just can't shut up. <laughs> I ain't kidding you. We were at the wedding last night, and we bumped into some lady that I had known years ago from the, when I used to go to the Bowie Fitness Center, and, and Barb worked out with her at the, at the school. This lady would not, I mean, I'm, I'm thirsty, 
I want to go out and get some of them little crackers that they had last night. This lady would not get off of it. I mean, she is just going on and on and on and on. And she's telling me about Will. And she, you know who she is. She's telling me about you. And she's telling me about Will. She says, Will, had a, she says, Will has to be a preacher. And I said, Will is a preacher. You, you couldn't talk to this lady. I, she said, Will ought to be a preacher. And I said, Will is a preacher. She says, no, I don't mean that. She says, I mean a real preacher. And I said, okay. <laughs> she said, yeah, he gets out and makes some real money. And I said, okay, well, whatever. And, you know, and after we were done, we were driving home. We were talking about it. And I said to my wife, I said, you know what? I just love the sound when she finally shut up. <laughs> she, just, she, just, she just would not stop talking. I mean, nice lady, man, but I'll tell you what, my ears were oozing when she was done. Uh, it just, it just was. Here you have people who have opinion of everything. I've met people that, that they knew everything about everything. No matter what subject you brought up, they were the expert on it. Now, you know that's not true. I mean, they, whatever you told, whatever you brought up, they knew everything there was to know about it. And they just go on and on, and they want to give you all this information, way more than you need. Let me give you a great principle in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. It says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it is folly and shame unto him. When it comes to dealing with situations that you hear about, the best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. Get all the facts before you shoot your mouth off. You see, a wise man, that's what the verse says, a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it till afterward. A wise man waits the situation out before he speaks. He gets all of his facts before he talks. He realizes there's two sides to every story. He don't just hear what one person says about somebody and then makes up his opinion on that. That's a fool. You get all of your facts and you get them straight. So when you do speak, you're not speaking based on your emotions, but the fact that you've got based on the principles. But remember, you can always learn more from observing a situation than you can by talking about a situation. And that's a wise man. A wise man guards what he says about younger, around younger Christians. A wise man guards what he says about any situation. He knows that words are very powerful. And he knows that once something is said, it's hard to take it back. Guy said one time, he says, you know, saying something that's not true in somebody, it's like when they make an accusation in the newspaper about somebody, you know, and then they found out it's wrong. They found that it's wrong. It doesn't matter how many retractions they print. The damage is already done. Guy said one time, discourse and, and saying things that are wrong or talking about people, whether it's right or wrong, is like going up to an Empire State Building and taking 5,000 feathers and throwing them out into the, off the top of the building and then deciding to go back and get all the feathers. You're not going to. Sixth one. Wise man seeks knowledge. This will be chapter 18, 15. The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, <clears throat> and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. You know, when it comes to the Bible, <clears throat> and it comes to seeking knowledge, <clears throat> there are no experts. I, I love the term that people like to throw around, he's a Bible scholar. There are no Bible scholars. When it comes to the Bible, there are no Bible scholars. When it comes to the Bible, there are no experts. When it comes to the Bible, all you have are students who are on different levels of learning. That's right. all you got. People like to portray themselves, well, I'm a Bible scholar. People like to say to themselves as, you know, I'm a, oh, I'm this or I'm that when it comes to the Bible. I'm an expert in the Bible. There are no experts in the Bible. Just students of the Word of God on different levels. 
And in a Christian life, the greatest pursuit, I'm going to tell you right now, that you can have in your life is the pursuit of truth. It's the greatest pursuit you'll ever take or undertake. It really is. It's a lifelong venture. The process of spiritual growth is a, is a constant learning process. What we learn will shape the outcome of everything in our lives. When you get married down the line and have kids, it'll shape your family also. A Christian shall learn from everything in his life because the heart of the prudent getteth knowledge and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. It's just that simple. The value of getting God's opinion on everything in life and then comparing it with the world and the things that you see and then growing through it. The difference between a wise man and a foolish man. You know, when it comes to the Word of God, God's school is never out. There's never a day, no matter how old, I'm 63 years old, I've been in the Bible for almost 50 years, and there's never a day in my life, if I live to be 100, there'll never be a day in my life when I can say, I got it all down. In fact, the truth of it is, the more you learn, this is that fourth dimension, the more you learn about the Bible, the more you get the Bible, it, if you're doing it right, it's not how much you know, if you really got it down right, the more you learn the Bible, the more you know how much you don't know. That's the key. That's the key. That's the key. And I'm telling you, when it comes to the Word of God, God's school is never out. At the first, when you were unsaved, Bible says over there in Luke, it talks about the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, when you were lost, before you were unsaved, God came looking for you. Luke chapter 19 says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that was lost. But once you get saved, now it's your turn to seek Him. Right. He'll come to get you to get saved, but He's not coming after you to give you the book. You've got to go after Him. And a wise man seeks wisdom. A wise man seeks knowledge. And that's the way it works. The seventh one. It goes along with number six, really. Because number seven is a wise man dispenses knowledge. Chapter 15, verse 7. The lips of a wise dispense knowledge, but the heart of the fool doeth not so. Now, there's something you want to mark in your Bible, and you'll see this a lot, not only in Proverbs, but you see it throughout the whole Bible. It's what I love about the Bible. Notice the word lips and the hearts in association. How that the Proverbs puts together the lips and the heart, because we know the Bible principle is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See how the thing works? He puts them right in there as a comparison for you. Those are the things I want to show you how to look for. And when you take it in and take it in and take it in like you do Sunday after Sunday and Thursday night after Thursday night, you have to develop something in your life that you put it out. It's the old sponge concept. You take a sponge and it'll absorb water, it'll absorb water, it'll absorb water, and then pretty soon all you're doing is pushing water. You know why? Because it's full and it cannot absorb any more. And until you take it over to the sink and wring it out, it will not take up, soak up any more water. Your life and my life is the same way. You can come here Sunday morning. You can come here Thursday night. You can get the disciple. Come over to my house one-on-one. -on -one, you can do whatever you want. You can take it in, take it in, and take it in, but you will become that lumpy, wet sponge unless you get wrung out with giving out what you take in. And a wise man dispenses knowledge. Uh, we have to be wrung out. It's the next step after learning the knowledge of God is to put it out. Nothing builds you like building other people. I mean, you make your list. Look around our own church. Look at the people who came into church maybe the same time or before or after you did, right in a short period. Look where they're at. Some of them are, are just going to town 
Some of them are much farther than some others are. Some of them have went leaps and bounds. And you can take it all back to one thing is the fact that once you take the knowledge and you start dispensing it and giving it to other people, God takes that and develops you. He makes you with it. He takes you and he develops you in every aspect of your life. I mean, he he comes to the point where he builds you while you're building other people. He takes what you know, and when you start letting other people you teach and develop, he'll teach you and develop you by those other people. I get people all the time, you know, and I understand it. I, I think a lot of the same things. You work with somebody, and they're really an idiot. They work with somebody, and there are more problems than they're worth. They always got an excuse. They never do what you tell them to do. And, and I know you get discouraged with it, and, and many of you have come to me and said, you know what, so-and-so is just not doing it. I don't know what to do. I don't know this. i tell you what, I just wish they'd get in or get out. I wish they'd get it together and all that. And I understand all that, but you don't understand. The wisdom of that is it doesn't matter. I mean, I want them to make it. God wants them to make it, and you want them to make it. But at the end of the day, it's their choice whether they make it or not. And I will put you with, I'm telling you right now, I will put you with somebody who I don't think has a snail's chance of making it. But I'll put you with them simply because maybe they will. I want to give them the best shot I can. But at the end of the day, if they don't, you're working with them will make you if it doesn't make them. Got to grow somehow. You don't grow spiritually just by coming Sunday morning and Thursday night. You grow by taking what you've got and dispensing it and dispersing it to others. I'll give my own example of my own life today. I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't ever say anything about this, but this is, to me, it's the greatest thing in the world. I'll get 30 hours a weekend in 40 different books of the Bible. You say, wow, you get all that study time? I haven't even studied for myself yet. That's what you do for me. You force me on Sunday morning to get into the book of Proverbs. I'll come on Thursday night and you'll ask me about, what, nine or ten questions by nine or ten other books in the Bible? You'll come over one-on-one to the tune of 20, 30 hours a week. And you'll all have, some of you have, some of you have got 50 questions about the Bible in 30 different books. You say, I love coming over and you teaching me the Bible. Yeah, I love coming, you coming over and keeping me fresh in the Bible. I mean, I may be giving you your answers, but you're making me work through 30 books of that week before I even get into my own personal stuff. It's a two-way street. When you start to take what God's put in your heart and you start to deal with somebody else, disciple them, work with them, teach them, give them what God has given you, it makes you. It develops you. You now not only have to do put the material for yourself, but they're going to ask you questions that force you to think, that make you look. And many times, I love what some of you say. Somebody will ask you a question and you'll say, well, I don't know the answer, but I'll have it by the next time we meet. That's what I'm talking about. They make you think. Otherwise, everybody go home and do this tonight. Get you a bucket of water, put it up about that big, a big pocket bail, get you a sponge, put it in top and check it hourly. At the first, you'll see it's floating real high, and you'll see a little ridge at the bottom where it's soaking up water. You'll come back in 20 minutes. The ridge is a little higher. It's still soaking high. You come back in two hours. That thing is just going to be looking like the deadest, wettest, ugliest thing you ever saw, a big old thing just floating in there. It just can't take any more water. It's almost submerged now, but it won't sink, but it is so heavy, it's worthless. You getting my point? You got to wring it out. You got to take what God gives you and then you got to do something with it and it makes you. It makes you. 
It makes you. It's a waste of time for you to take it all in. If you're never going to give it all out. Just the way that it is. Well, number eight, moving right along here. I'm just going to stall as long as I can today to let the water in that pool heat up. <laughs> I told Danny, I said, we need to have a deacon's meeting here and approve buying two wetsuits, I think. <clears throat> Number eight, a wise man will hear. Chapter one, verse five, a wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, familiar verse, it says, faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hey, there are hundreds of thousands of God's people today in churches. And I'm telling you, they're saved. I'm telling you, they're on their way to heaven. But I'm also telling you, they stopped hearing from God years ago. And yet they go to church every Sunday. They'll be there tonight. They'll be there Wednesday. They'll be on visitation. They'll drive church buses. They'll be ushers. They'll sing in a choir. They'll be deacons. They'll be Sunday school teacher. But they just go through the motions and they never hear a thing God says in any message or anything from God. You know, that was Israel's problem. Matthew chapter uh, 13, verses 14 and 15. He says, in hearing they shall not hear, and their ears were dull of hearing. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 says, and having ears ye hear not. And how many times have God said through the Gospels, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. When you stop listening to God and what God says, then you'll start listening to somebody else. And that's how the process starts. Because there's God's people out there, I'm telling you, they're saved and they're on their way to heaven. They're going to heaven, but I'm telling you right now, they haven't heard a thing from God for years. Well, the last one, number nine. A wise man will fear and depart from evil. Proverbs 14, 16. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. You know, as a Christian, we all know this. There are some places that we need not to go. They're not going to be helpful to us. There's some places that we need to stay away from. And as a Christian, there are some people we need to stay away from. Negative people. You know, I, I, here again, make your list. I've known people that are not happy about anything unless they're unhappy about something. Negative people. I've seen people who were so negative, I mean, they were absolutely, there wasn't anything good about anything. They couldn't, every time, they, if they went out in their front porch and it was a sun-shining day and the birds were chirping, it would be as too hot and the birds are too loud. I mean, it, it's, it's, they're just negative. Those are the kind of people you need to stay away from. And then I'm going to tell you something else. There are some wicked people out there you need to stay away from. And I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about in, in churches. I'm talking about in, hey, there are women in this world, when their feet hit the bed in the morning, the devil himself says, oh, Lord, she's up again. <clears throat> well, I don't know if he says, oh, Lord, but he says something along those lines. <clears throat> those are the kind of people you need to stay away from. Those are the kind of circumstances you need to stay away from. And never putting anything or anybody in your life that will not edify you to the cause of Christ. I mean, even in electricity, who doesn't know that positive and negative, they'll never go together. You take a positive line and a negative line and touch them, you're going to blow a fuse. 
and you as a positive person matching yourself up with a negative person, you're going to blow your fuse. It's never going to work. They'll tear you down. They'll drag you down. I mean, life can be terrible. Life, 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 can, life can, be, can take everything from you. I mean, life can be, you, know, I mean, you get up in the morning and this breaks down and this happens, or you get a phone call about this and that. Life itself can be so disparaging. But I'm, I'm telling you, there are people in this world, Christians, who will get their hooks in you and they will try to destroy everything in your life. They'll tell you everything. They will suck the jelly out of your donut, man, and it'll just be flat. <laughs> Bible says you need to fear them. You fear them from the standpoint that they will hurt your walk with God. You depart from them so you don't become like them. And I want to tell you something. I'm just telling you. You can wrap this up to some hysterical old man who doesn't know what he's talking about. He should be living in a mountain in a cave. Or you can take it for the truth that it is. But I want to tell you something. And you as a Christian, listen to me. Until you completely break with that world and the people in that world, you're going nowhere. Right. You may think you can live both worlds. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You may think you can run down the middle and do what you want to do in both one foot in the world, one foot in Christianity. The world will win every time. It's an illusion in your mind that you think that I can stand for God and be with the world. I don't have to leave those old friends. I don't have to leave those old things. I don't have to do nothing anymore. And I can still have associations with them. They will win every time in your life. You have to break it off, bury it. Totally obey, utterly destroy, the book of Judges says. Great example is found in the Bible. Now, Psalms 1, I want you to turn there. Last Thursday night, uh, Cleon asked a question about blessings. And boy, I showed you where the definitive passage was on blessings. It's in Psalms 1. Let me show you something else about it this morning that goes along where we're at. And this is the answer why some people used to love God, used to love God's people, used to love the church, used to love everything about God, and now they can't stand it anymore. Put them on your list. It's your own personal list. Put them on your list. You want to be a wise man? Then hey, quit hanging with fools. Now, Psalms 1 says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and is the law that he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he do shall prosper. Now I want you to notice the progression. The moment you start walking with God, the moment you quit walking with God, and you can't walk with God in the world at the same time, so let's make that clear. Let's put it into an example. You come to church, you start getting involved, you start growing, you start getting the Bible, you start whatever you get going really well, and then you get an old phone call, you meet an old friend, or you start to get something, and then suddenly you quit walking with God and you start walking with the world again. I want you to notice the progression. It's a downward progression. And it's just as viable as the first and second laws of thermodynamics. When the walk with God stops... Now you start walking with the ungodly. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. But I want you to see that. You're not just walking with the ungodly. Did you see what you're walking with? You're walking in their counsel. See? 
Not only when you walk, quit walking with God, you quit taking counsel from God. And when you start walking with the ungodly, you start walking not with them, but you can't walk with them without walking in their counsel. Now they're telling you what right and wrong. Now they're leading and guiding you. Now they're making the value judgments in your life that you're too strong to stand up for for yourself. And now you're getting bad counsel. And it's the S-E-L, individual. Now that goes along for a while, and once you start walking, the progression goes down. Once you start walking in the counsel of the ungodly, then it says, you're standing in the way of sinners. Now, again, you're not standing with sinners. You're standing in the way the sinners go. Now you're doing what they're doing. Where before you just took the counsel. You quit walking with God and started walking with their counsel, listening to what they say. Now you're not walking anymore. Now you're standing in the way that they're going. Now look at the third one. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now you're sitting with them. Now you're right in the middle of it. You started out Quit walking with God, started walking with them, started standing with them. You took their counsel, you got in their way, and now you're sitting in the seat of the scornful. And then now, this is the answer, why you who once loved God, why you who once loved the book, why you who loved, once loved church, why you who loved everything about it, now will sit and destroy it and talk bad about it because you went through a natural progression when you leave God and the wisdom of God and you start hanging with fools. One, two, three. You walk with them, you stand with them, and then you sit with them. And this is why so many of God's people who once loved God, loved the things of God, and loved the church. Any church is now where they're at. You know, when I look back in history, man has developed through a number of, of eras, they call them, ages, eras. Back in the 18, end of the 1700s and into the 1800s, if you go back in history, they called that the agricultural age. A little bit later on, when America really got founded and really got going, they called that an industrial age. Then we got into all of the fast-paced telephones and all this stuff, and we entered into the information age. It was said 25 years ago, I remember hearing a preacher say it, that one New York Times daily newspaper contained more information in it than a man in the 14th century would attain in all of his life. That's the information age, you see. And then in the 60s, we got into the space age. Then we got into the computer age. What we're doing well, as far as I'm concerned, now we're in the stupid age. We got a lot of people with smartphones, given to stupid people. They can't figure out anything in life for themselves. They can't make any choice that's the right choice. And I'm telling you, these are the nine character qualities found in the book of Proverbs that is for a wise man. You want to be wise? You want to make the right choices? This is where you start. I'm not saying this will solve all of your problems, but I am saying you make a list. You put the people you know to fall into this category of being a wise person, and then you hang out with them. Iron sharpeneth iron. 
I mean, would you would you be a world would, would you if you wanted to be a world class swimmer, would you hang out and train with a person who can't swim? I mean, if you wanted to be a great baseball player, would you train with a guy who could never hit the ball and lost every game? I mean, if you wanted to be a great boxer or a fighter, would you train with a guy who never won a fight in his life? Well, if you want to deal with your marriage and make a better or your relationship with God, would you take advice from somebody who, who, whose own personal spiritual life is a disaster? I mean, if you want your children to grow up by your side in ministry, and you want to, you want to, uh, would you take advice from somebody who's lost all their kids? Of course you wouldn't. Then if you really want to do your best, be your best, and accomplish the best for God, why would you ever consider and hang out or allow yourself to get under the influence of people who do absolutely nothing for God except complain about everything? Or absolutely do nothing for God. You see, the book of Proverbs details out for us what a wise man is and a foolish man is. We're going to talk about the foolish man next time. He does this so you and I will make the right choices, the right decisions, and all that we do as his son. So the first eight chap- seven chapters is my son, my son, my son. Now I leave you with this great principle and this great proverb. And we'll end on this note today, and the next time we get back, we'll be in Proverbs uh, dealing with a foolish man. And it says in 1320, Proverbs 1320, very simple, but very profound. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And you know what, folks? Life is just that simple. And the real thing about it is you get to choose. Nobody will ever make that choice for you. You can say, well, somebody, you know what? They made me do now. Nobody made you do anything. Well, they coer- nobody coerced you till you allowed yourself to be coerced. No, no. When it comes down to it, we have to make our own choices in life. And you may not be responsible, as I said earlier on, to many things that befall you in life. But nobody holds their destiny in your hands where you go more than you do by allowing circumstances and people in your life. Now, you can choose people or not choose people. Circumstance sometimes will hit you between the eyes and you don't see them. But even in that, as I said earlier, you may not always be responsible for the circumstances in life, but you are responsible how you deal with them. And it all comes back to Proverbs. It all comes back to the book of choices. It all comes back to a wise man versus a foolish man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you.